The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Before we did this episode of the Paracast, I was thinking back to my misbegotten youth in Brooklyn, New York. My, my dad would take me to a movie theater off Times Square where they'd show older B movies. Like, for example, we'd see the universal horror films like House of Dracula. And then we saw a movie serial. It was in the middle of the 12th chapter serial where this nerdy guy is in some kind of garage or small cabin with this woman. And they're about, of course, to be blown up. And unfortunately, the guy's mouth is covered so we can't speak. And in the next scene, of course, he's able to get his... his bandana off and he says the magic words Shazam and becomes Captain Marvel I remember seeing that that must be sometime in the late 50s of course the film was dated back in 1941 with a former western actor by the name of Tom Tyler who also played the mummy by the way interesting so I, I go back quite a bit I actually remember my late brother would play these dramas on radio, and he'd always pick the ones to frighten me. You know, like Lights Out or something like that. Brian Walker is with us, with me and Tim, and he is someone who has looked into all this great stuff, and he has a site called Brian's Drive-In Theater, which covers predominantly B-films, movie serials, everything, going back to the early days of sound. Do you do much in terms of silent films at all, Brian? I love silent films, but I don't profile very many of them on my site, uh, only for those actors who started in the silent uh, days, but then made the transition to sound. Well, obviously here, we are mostly interested personally in superheroes, sci-fi, and B-films, and of course, the movie serials. Now, the movie serials, well, let's put it this way. What they do now on TV is sometimes at the end of a season, they have a cliffhanger. You know, will this particular member of the cast die? You won't know until the next season. Unfortunately, sometimes the show never has that next season. I'll give you an example of that. It's Farscape, a really wacky sci-fi show with live action and puppets from the early 2000s with Ben Browder and Claudia Black. I love the show, but the last one in season four, 
They're disintegrated, the lead characters. And that was the end of the series because they didn't renew it for a fifth season. So finally they had to film a three-hour miniseries to tie up all the loose ends. But a lot of TV shows, you never get to see the cliffhanger solved. It's not like the movie serials where we know by the time we get to chapter 12 or 15, they were going to figure out what the solution was. Very true. Movie serials really started, uh, you know, at the dawn of film production. Uh, they started in the early 1900s. And by the time uh, serials hit their heyday in the mid-1930s, uh, they had sort of established, uh, you know, the, the rhythm and the meter of episodic uh, television, uh, which was to come, you know, just uh, 10, 12 years later. They're worthy of study for a min- for many different reasons, uh, one of which, though, is that you know, in most serials, you get a three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half-hour movie. I mean, they're much longer than even what we expect today. These three-hour films that I can't sit through <laughs> anymore <laughs> are made much more palatable for me if they are broken up into chapters or episodes. Of course, the way they get away with all that timing is the first two minutes of a chapter in a serial, they replay the previous yeah. episode, and then they show the cliffhanger, and then the cliffhanger is resolved. It takes two minutes out of, what, 12 minutes or 18 minutes? It depends on how many chapters and what the uh, complete running time is. But they, they usually run anywhere from 210 minutes to about 275. Now, originally, the way they were presented is you'd see one chapter every week and you come back the next week to see the cliffhanger. And usually this is something that accompanied a regular feature film. Yes. And it, it helped bring in a younger audience, I think, because most of these movie serials played towards the younger audiences. This is pretty true of the sci-fi TV shows of the early 50s, like Captain Video and Space Patrol and all those. And, and Rocky Jones, yes. Rocky Jones, Space Ranger. (laughs) He also played with Commando Cody as his sidekick. Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, Richard Crane was Rocky Jones. And the old Rocky Jones uh, television shows from the early 1950s, uh, I think there were only 39 of those, and, and that was a syndicated series. The production values there and the acting is very reminiscent of the serials from just a few years beforehand, made by Republic and uh, Columbia. Republic and Columbia, at the end of the run of the serials, were the two studios that I, I, I think did the best job with them. Earlier on, however, there were a number of studios that produced uh, serials. And, you know, Columbia specialized in doing a lot of short subjects as well, not serials, but uh, they did a lot of, you know, comedy teamwork and such. Uh, The Three Stooges shorts were all produced by uh, Columbia. And even into the early 1950s, when short subjects stopped becoming the norm when you went to the theater, Harry Cohn at uh, Columbia loved the Stooges so much that he kept them going up to the point where he died. He died in, I think, 1958, and that was the end of the Three Stooges serials. But then the Three Stooges, uh, thanks to uh, Norman Maurer, who was um, Mo Howard's uh, son-in-law, got them into some feature films in the late 1950s, such as The Three Stooges in Orbit. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. But it's not their finest work. They are you know, a little over the hill, uh, perhaps. But those movies were fun you know, when you're a kid. 
It's kind of sad, though, with the Three Stooges, how Curly died young. That was Mo Howard's, one of his brothers, and he yes. died fairly young. But until the end of his Fair. days, they forced him to work. They would prop him up occasionally, um, unfortunately, I should say, uh, in front of the camera. But he also needed to work as well. Talent like the Three Stooges, which it, it, it's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. They've been uh, around as a comedy team now for about 90 years. I mean, that's how familiar they are. Even today, you can watch Three Stooges shorts uh, every Saturday night on MeTV. Uh, right before Spinguli uh, comes on, they'll run an hour or two of uh, Three Stooges short. So their their presence is still felt, but they really didn't make any money at all. I mean, they made just a tiny fraction uh, from Columbia, as opposed to what those films have generated over the years. I saw Mo Howard being interviewed a couple of times, and he was a funny guy. Not just doing movies, but he'd get up there in an interview environment, and he was still pretty funny, pretty interesting, but also seemed like a family guy because at one time he introduces his wife. I don't know how many wives he had, but he introduced his wife, and it seemed like they really had a, a good marriage. Yeah, uh, Mo was only married once, and his uh, daughter um, married Norman Maurer, uh, who was... Um, pretty big in B-movie production uh, around the time that the Three Stooges lost their gig with Columbia in doing the short subjects. Um, and Norman Maurer really stepped in and kept their careers going for, you know, for another uh, six or seven years. Some of the uh, full-length films that they made um, maybe aren't the greatest in terms of quality, and they are, as I said, past their prime. Uh, and and uh, you know, Curly you know, is long, had long since passed away. Uh, by that point. But the, but the films are still pretty solid, and even though the boys are older, uh, they do a pretty good job with the slapstick, which can't be, you know, as I get older and deteriorate physically, <laughs> I can barely put one foot in front of the other. Let's break it. We've got more with Brian. We're going back to the drive-in, and Gene and Tim, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Most folks don't realize this fact. Our country is only four missed meals away from chaos, and those meals can vanish fast. In a national emergency, fragile supply chains break down and will wipe grocery store shelves clean in a matter of hours. Before this happens, there's something you should do today. Let's stock up on emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply is the company millions of American families trust for their emergency supplies. 
You should, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each kit contains delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and other survival necessities. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship the same day, fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Those who know what's coming, prepare before the chaos starts. MyPatriotSupply.com Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Do you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help now. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare. Call 800-284-0523. Learn how through the Family Medical Leave Act, you can leave your job without losing your job. Locations everywhere. Get immediate help for drug and alcohol problems. Call now. 800-284-0523. 800-284-0523. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Back to the drive-in with Brian Walker. We were talking about the Three Stooges that had basically two careers, but one point you made there which is probably true for a lot of the b-movie actors they didn't make a lot of money they made a lot of quantity so it wasn't like the a-list movie stars they basically get a working person's job and they have to make you know 14 films a year or something that's true. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, Tom Tyler from The Adventures of Captain Marvel. He's a good example of that as well. Uh, he started out as a sort of a physical culturist from the 1920s and got into films that way. He did a lot of westerns. 
but also did you know, some serial work in the 40s uh, with Captain Marvel and the Phantom. Although, if you look at his filmography, he's got, it, it's impressive. I mean, just the sheer number of films in Tom Tyler's filmography is amazing. But he really lived kind of, and a lot of them did, kind of paycheck to paycheck. They were just sort of, uh, you know, everyday working man, you know, actors. What they lacked in, you know, the size of an individual paycheck, I guess they made up for and the fact that they got so many of them. <laughs> Even the little ones will add up after a while. But poor Tom Tyler, his story is so sad. Right around the time that uh, The Phantom came out in 1943, he started having joint issues and uh, developed a really bad case of rheumatoid arthritis, so much uh, so that it derailed his career. And toward the end, um, he was just relegated to small parts because he had trouble moving, he had trouble walking around. Gun any kind of gunplay was very difficult for him because he his hands were so arthritic. And he died at the age of 50, you know, not from rheumatoid arthritis, uh, but from a heart condition. But uh, it really sad. And he, well, he was penniless when he died. And after making all those films, it's just a shame. I particularly like Captain Marvel. And I like the character. And at one point, some say that it was more popular than Superman. But then they had the, the lawsuit against Fawcett. And today... Captain Marvel has become Shazam. Now, the name Captain Marvel is owned by Marvel Comics, of course. It's become Shazam, and they've turned his alter ego, Billy Batson, into a teenager. So it becomes kind of like the Tom Hanks movie Big, where you have this preteen has the body of a 30-year-old man. So now when Billy Batson becomes Captain Marvel, he's still 12 years old. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's why Zachary Levi played him in the movies. I think physically, he actually looked the part. He bulked up and everything. It wasn't just padding in his uniform like they did with George Reeves in Superman. But he looked the part, but he had this rubber face, and it was a little too wacky for me. But I remember the one with Tom Tyler. That's where he has a villain called Scorpion. Correct. Am I correct here that the Scorpion character was developed in the comic books by a guy named Otto Binder? I, I am not sure of that. Okay. Well, Otto Binder, by the way, was a sci-fi and comic book writer. He also wrote about UFOs, as many of us know. Oh, yeah. And he was writing the continuity for Captain Marvel back in the 40s. But in the 50s, he worked for DC Comics, where he helped create Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. And to show you how they recognize this, let me throw this trivia out for you, Brian. We'll get back to the serials. When they produced the CBS and later CW production of Supergirl with Melissa Benoist, when she first reveals herself to National City, saving an airplane, she flies over a bridge called the Otto Binder Bridge. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice callback. You know, it goes back to our field UFOs and the paranormal because I knew Otto slightly in the days of his UFO interest and his work with a guy named Ray Palmer, whose name was used, by the way, for a comic book character called Adam, where the guy is Ray Palmer. Of course, the real Ray Palmer was slightly over four feet tall and a hunchback, always, you know, really, really had difficulty physically because of a truck accident in his youth. Whereas in the TV show Flash and then later in Legends of Tomorrow, Adam or Ray Palmer was played by six foot two inch Brandon Routh. If you look at 
the physique types uh, that you know, the, the actors who were cast in the serials, especially the ones focusing on superheroes, you know, the, the, the male physique back then, the aesthetic wasn't quite as uh, you know, larger than life as it is now. These days, you can, like, I uh, reti- recently retired from West Virginia University, but I still teach, and I see kids on campus who are way more you know, buffed up and, and muscular than uh, anything that you would have seen in a serial back then. But that's not to take anything away from these actors, uh, because you know back then um, uh, Tom Tyler was in, in fantastic shape. He, he was even even in his uh, before arthritis got to him, even in his late thirties, early forties, he was still in you know, prime condition. Kirk Allen, uh, you know the first uh, serial Superman, was about thirty eight years old when that first serial came out, and he's still you know, in very good shape. They did have to pad. Especially, you you mentioned uh, patting George Reeves out, although he was also in good shape and and, getting close to his middle years. They did pat him out, but just to sort of add bulk, to add um, muscle. The the physical culture was a lot different uh, back then, and uh, and sort of the the male aesthetic uh, was was definitely much different. And now you, you have to... You do have to be, you know, blown up and buffed uh, to be a superhero. Back then, you could at least uh, just be height, weight proportionate, I suppose. (laughs) Well, with Christopher Reeve, he was a tall, thin guy. And before they made the Superman the movie, he spent several months in the gym bulking up. Not as much as they do now, but bulking up, adding, what, 20, 30 pounds of muscle. He worked with David Prowse, who physically was Darth Vader. I mean, of course, the voice was James Earl Jones. But he worked out, and he beefed up quite a bit. He was less beefed up in the later Superman films. But he looked more the part that way. Of course, it's strange how... You know, you say Christopher Reeve was that have to do with George Reeves? Nothing. Christopher Reeve was the guy's real name. George Reeves was not the real name of the character. I think George Reeves, though, was very sad what happened to him. But the thing about it also, which you point out, Tom Tyler, Kirk Allen, George Reeves were all in their late 30s when Christopher Reeve took the part, Brandon Routh, and later, of course, Henry Cavill and Tyler Hecklin for the TV show, and even David Cornsweet, the newest Superman, which will be in Superman Legacy, they were all guys in their mid to late 20s when they started. So they could be Superman for a decade and not look like George Reeves did at 45 years old in the later years of Adventures of Superman, where you could see this guy's getting a little long on the tooth. Well, you know, he was, but, uh, you know, at the time of his death, he was, he had signed a contract, you know, to do, uh, you know, another season. Um, and, uh, gosh, I, I, for me, I don't mind a, you know, middle-aged superhero, uh, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Hey, before we continue, we'll tell more truths about superheroes and serials with Brian Walker. We can do a week show with him, I think. With Gina and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie Guy. 
There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. Say news update. No one will lay a finger on your firearms. It's not going to happen. Former President Trump speaking Friday night at the NRA Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Thrilled to be back with the hardworking, God-fearing, true American patriots of the NRA. Right from the beginning. Trump speaking to the special counsel's decision not to charge President Biden in connection with mishandling classified documents. If Biden is not going to be charged. He said, that's up to them. You know, look, if he's not going to be charged, that's up to them. But then I should not be charged. The five Marines killed in that helicopter crash have been identified. The chopper was flying from Nevada to California during a routine training mission. The five Marines found in a remote area covered in snow in Southern California. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain until one day the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today. Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-296-1327. Call right now. Help is standing by. 800-296-1327.
Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Superheroes, we will change the course of mighty rivers. We're talking about Superman and the serial culture and the fact, of course, that as Brian points out, what was a B film or special serial later appeared in the form of a TV show. And so a lot of the TV shows that we see now own their lineage back to the movie serials, the mainstream stuff, the mainstream Westerns and all that. Of course, we don't do Westerns that much anymore. But a lot of the people who appeared in a lot of those B-movies later became TV staples. Like I was mentioning to you in our chat before, Brian, Leonard Nimoy appeared in a movie called Zombies of the Stratosphere, a really low-budget Republic movie serial. And he had this kind of lean, gaunt look about his face. And I understand it was that face, that facial aspect in the way he looked that influenced his selection as Mr. Spock. I can see that. The thing about Leonard Nimoy is that I guess it, he wasn't you know, classically handsome, um, but that actually, I think, became one of his biggest assets you know, in terms of uh, staying employed as an actor, which I understand is a very difficult thing to do, um, especially with television. One of the things also, if you get typecast in a particular role, it's not as true today, but certainly for George Reeves, probably Kirk Allen, any of these people become famous for a particular character, getting work after that. Well, you're Flash Gordon, you're Superman, you're whatever. It had to make it difficult. Well, and these were so popular with children uh, as well. I mean, the serials were as much for them as they were anybody else, really. Uh, and the children were the ones most likely to return to the theater next week to see next week's chapter uh, of the serial. So, uh, you know, if you um, you think, if you look at a particular character or a particular actor uh, that you enjoyed as a child, um, you, you, you do see them more or less age out of a particular role. Uh, and, th- and that's unfortunate, but but it does happen. And children, I think, do uh, really uh, you heavily identify um, with the, what they're seeing uh, on television and the characters, the actors that they're watching. I think that did happen with George Reeves. I don't. I think he was just sort of boxed in. Uh, he's he's getting older. You know, he was forty five uh, when he passed away. Um, had signed on for another season. Did a lot of public appearances as Superman um, as well, and, and I'm sure that those were pretty lucrative, but uh, he was also having a relationship uh, with uh, an MGM executive's wife, uh, Tony Mannix uh, was her name, and she was paying the freight on George's life pretty much. <laughs> he had he had new cars, he had a beautiful home on Benedict Canyon Drive, uh, You know, way more... Um, I, sh- I guess I should say you know, a nicer uh, home that he probably would have been able to afford on his own. Uh, but I don't know. You know it's, it's a shame what happened to him. And I guess we really don't know what happened to him now that I think about it. We're not really sure if he uh, committed suicide or was uh, you know, rubbed out by somebody, perhaps. 
that's and I guess we never will know because all of those people have since passed on themselves. There was a movie called Hollywood Land with Ben Affleck yeah. playing the George Reeves role. What's interesting there too, with the last season of the original Adventures of Superman, Reeves began to direct. So I kind of suppose that could have been a direction for his career because a lot of actors have later become directors like Jonathan Frakes, of course, and Roxanne Dawson from Star Trek Voyager, people like that. They become directors. Amanda Tapping from Stargate SG-1. And they don't have to worry about acting anymore because they focus on this other aspect of their career. And they continue to have careers because you don't have to have a certain look behind the camera. That's true, but directing a a film or directing uh, an episode of a TV show is so stressful. Um, And those who can handle it, great. But uh, not saying that being an actor isn't uh, stressful, but the director has to answer to the producer. He's got to placate the actors. He's got to make sure that the crew is doing you know, everything. Uh, that's a lot on, you know, uh, the director's back, and uh, that's a lot for her to deal with. But at the end of the day, they also quite often have to be in the film, and not always just a little bit part where they say hello and disappear. They have to play a predominant role in the film, like Clint Eastwood would do in the films he directed. And certainly Jerry Lewis would direct a lot of his films, and he's doing all this manic comedy routine and you wonder if that didn't make him crazy and he got kind of crazy in his later years but if a if an actor becomes strictly a director it's a way as i say of dealing with the fact that they're no longer giving you the a-list roles or anything like that but that's another point too here is that how many of these movie serial stars over the years had much of a career after their major roles i mean I know Buster Crabbe did some stuff after Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Tom Tyler, of course, became ill. George Reeves, we know about. Kirk Allen did have sort of a career, but not a lot. Noel Neal, who played Lois Lane in the movie serials and the latter parts of Adventures of Superman, she didn't have much of a career. Is that what's happened with a lot of these people? You know, uh, you do find uh, the folks who worked at the lesser studios. Uh, um, not that Republican and Columbia were poverty were poverty row studios, although they started uh, as poverty row studios. Uh, but the actors who were in um, you know, the the serials uh, were didn't necessarily make the transition. Uh, They did get old, and unfortunately there is a lot of ageism out there. There always has been um, in Hollywood, and I I hate to say it, but there probably always will be. Uh, And I don't think it's any better now than it was back then. And I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people did. I think a lot of these actors did become uh, so, so closely identified with the roles that they just couldn't break out of it. Well, of course, Snow O'Neill pretty much gave up acting after Adventures of Superman expired. I think she worked for one of the studios answering fan mail or something. I mean, she took a desk job because she had right. to survive. And then I remember John Hamilton, who played Perry White in Adventures of Superman. Towards the end of the filming, he was losing his memory and he couldn't remember his lines. So they were written out on all those crazy pieces of paper that Perry White had. And he was living on a very low salary plus Social Security and barely getting by. 
in his final years. I know it's, uh, it's, Whenever you start researching um, into some of these people's lives, you, you, you see you see people on screen and you think that you know, their lives are wonderful and they've got plenty of money. And I hate to say it, but so often that is just not the case. I've, I've known a number of actors over the years. The ones, uh, the, the B actors, the ones who really landed on their feet, uh, always had some sort of side gig. They, they had, you know, uh, something going on other than just what they were doing as actors. Some of them uh, you know, would take on modeling jobs, you know, as well, because it didn't require much time uh, and paid well. And commercials also don't require much time uh, and pay very well. And that's what, that's what some actors have done. Um, my, my old friend uh, Aaron Kincaid, who passed away about, oh gosh, 13 years ago. Um, that's what he did to survive. And he made a pretty decent living for himself. I want to talk about another actor who had a brief period of fame as Commando Cody, the second one. There were two actors who played it. Judd Haldron. Now, he, he was, what, in his 30s when he rose to fame in this Republic film's but his career took a nosedive after that. We should talk about his story. Next, with Brian, Gene, and Tim, you're in... The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us, but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. 
If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. I need to file my tax return right the first time. How can I be sure to do that? Doing your taxes yourself? Using e-file is the best way to file an accurate tax return. Mistakes can delay your refund, so spend an extra few minutes making sure you can file an accurate return the first time around. Avoid common errors by spelling all names correctly and using correct Social Security numbers. Double-check your bank account numbers for direct deposit and double-check your math, too. Oh, yeah, don't forget to sign and date your return. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for 75 years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like, if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So be careful out there. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. That's such a silly thing. Wearing this ridiculous mask, Judd Haldron. Yet in another film where he played this Rocket Man character, he played what? Larry Martin without the mask. Explain all this. <laughs> Not sure that I can. But didn't he commit suicide or something? He died young. Uh, he was, I think, late 50s uh, when he passed away. Um, I really don't know much about him. It, it, uh, I, think he, I think you're right, though. I think he did uh, shoot himself, now that I think about it. I'm looking it up now just so you see. He was, oh, he was 58 when he died. He committed suicide in 1974. Judd Clifton Haldron. I don't know much about him, quite honestly. There's, there's not, there's not a great deal of information out there uh, about him, and his career uh, just tanked, you know. After a while, um, you know, he wasn't there again. He wasn't a young man when uh, he was Commando Cody, and um, you know, perhaps that ma- wearing a mask might not be such a good idea after all, because you don't get your face out there. It says here, after 1960, Haldron became a full-time insurance salesman. Imagine buying insurance from Commando Cody. (laughs) On the other hand, imagine having to sell insurance. (laughs) The, The thing I always wondered about here is that he appeared 
in Captain Video, Master of the Stratosphere, which is, I think, 1951. In the movies, Judd Haldren, a guy, as you say, is probably in his 30s. But on TV, every day during the week, you had Al Hodge, a guy probably in his 40s or 50s at the time, playing Captain Video. How did the kids reconcile having two different actors, and how did that happen? Well, uh, you know, it, it, are you talking about uh, Captain Video, the, the television uh, series? They had two actors playing Captain Video on TV, the latter one being, of course, Al Hodge, who, by the way, once played the Green Hornet on radio. Don't get me started. And then we have Judd Haldren playing Captain Video in the movies. Now, if this is for kids, kids are watching Captain Video on TV every day, and they go to the movies, who's this other guy? Well, uh, one of the things that might have worked for the production company was that uh, the resolution on early televisions was so horrible that <laughs> you weren't getting a whole lot of detail out of that 12-inch screen anyway. Uh, so the only uh, clues that you would have had that these weren't the same two people would have been you know, voice you know, more than anything else. Well, Al Hodge was a much better actor. You still there? Brian? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. Right. Just had a, a momentary com- computer issue. All right. Go ahead. So anyway, I said Matt Al Hodge, because of his radio experience, in addition to the TV, was a much, much better actor than Judd Haldren, who sounded to me like he could barely get through these complicated pseudoscientific explanations of what he was doing. Well, you know, uh, maybe that was one of the reasons that they went with Al Hodge in the TV series, um, because you know, as as low budget as the, the films were, the TV series was that much cheaper. Uh, you know, especially being a syndicated uh, show, not having a you know a network behind it. Um, and back then, you know, time well today, you know, time is money. Uh, and if you, as long as you know your lines and you can hit your marks and you don't need a second take, you're hired. And remember, this was done like the TV serials of the day. You get up there, you do your show live. If something went wrong, it was live. Al Hodge never graduated from Captain Video, but the Video Ranger, Don Hastings, became very well known. I think he's still alive, possibly. Very well known in the TV serials, daytime serials. Yeah, I believe you're right. But he was young, though, uh, Don Hastings. Uh, when he, and he's, I believe he'll be 90 this year, as a matter of fact. Yes, so he was probably around 20 when he did The Video Ranger. Right, yeah, he would have been really young. Um, and he spent, you know, uh, the bulk of his career in soap operas, which is another another venue where uh, you know, initially um, you know, a lot of the soap operas were shot live uh, as well. And uh, the, the performance you saw was actually live, at least, you know, in the East, especially if uh, that soap opera was being produced in New York. And, you know, in the early days, so many of them were. Uh, you had to be able to you know, get through a scene not needing a second take, and if you, you know, bumped into a prop, you had to make it look good. That would require some kind of being able to improvise, at least. But Al Hodge was also kind of a sad thing. His career didn't go anywhere after Captain Video. But part of that is that the Dumont Network, 
Do you remember the Dumont Network? One of the reasons the show ended is because the network ended. Yeah, you know, Dumont was originally poised to be like the strongest network. Uh, and I believe in 1944, they before World War II ended, Dumont actually resumed uh, daily production. Um, you know, Dumont, unlike uh, CBS and NBC, Dumont also uh, had a line of televisions. Yes, and, I remember. And um, you know, Dumont started uh, broadcasting as a way to, to, to increase demand for the televisions. But they, um, you know, and a lot of Dumont's programming is unfortunately lost, um, sadly. Uh, there is a, I believe it's on Roku, isn't there a Dupont, a Dumont, excuse me, a Dumont channel on Roku now? Uh, it's, there is on one of the, on one of the uh, it's not on Amazon Fire, but it's on one of the other streaming apparatuses. It is Roku, yeah. Tim? Yeah, it is, it is Roku, yes. Yeah. Well, um, do you know the story about what happened to their uh, filmed archives. It's just, it's so sad what happened to them. It is. And that happened in the 70s, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. No. They're, they're at the, the bottom <laughs> of a river or something now, I believe. I think it's the East River. Okay. There okay. In, in New York, yeah. <laughs> Dumps there. It's, it's what a shame. All, all of that history is gone. And what's, know, really, uh, what's really sad about that is that. There are very few copies of any episodes of Captain Video left. It's maybe a half a dozen that I can find on YouTube or something, or they've released a couple of videotapes or DVDs of them. That's it, of very poor quality. And those were those had to have been kinescopes that, that survived. Um, a kinescope, by the way, is that they actually take a film... And make a film of something off a TV screen. And you know, before the uh, the advent and wide widespread use of videotape, that was the only way you could make a copy of uh, a television program and then send it on to uh, you know, a market farther away or run it in syndication. That kinescopes were the only way to do that until oh, I don't know, late fifties, probably fifty seven, fifty eight. Of course, with the 12 inch TV, you would know the difference. <laughs> That's true. As, and as somebody who has seen hundreds of hours of, uh, you know, of kinescope shows over the years, um, I appreciate that um, they're available via archive.org and YouTube. Uh, it's fun to go back and watch some of that old programming as well. You get to see uh, stars, you get to see uh, actors who are you know, obviously uh, now gone and not even in within the public present republic pu- public remembrance is what I'm trying to say uh, but there you can go back and watch those and it's addictive I, I gotta say I can't tell you how many episodes of watch my uh, what's my line hmm. uh, the old uh, 1950s uh, panel show on CBS I have seen probably every episode. And that was a, that was that show was on for seventeen years, and that's you know probably I don't know like forty episodes a year. <laughs> I guess that's too much of a window into my life. However, 
Well, YouTube's a great resource for seeing a lot of these movie serials. For example, you can see Adventures of Captain Marvel there. You cannot, however, see the two Superman movie serials. These you have to pay for, which is unfortunate because you can go to the DC section of Max, the streaming network, and get Man of Steel, Batman Begins, Superman Returns, Superman the Movie, but not Adventures of Superman, not the two movie serials. Strange. Well, it's all who owns the copyright. Hey, before we go into all that crazy stuff, we have Brian Walker, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. You're in the Pedicast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay heating pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay heating pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Welcome back to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Yeah, rights in movies and TV shows is kind of crazy. So it's unfortunate, because I think if you watch the original Superman movie serial and Adam Man versus Superman, you'd like them, except, of course, the flying scenes were kind of pathetic. You occasionally saw Kirk Allen doing something, but mostly he becomes a cartoon. A very hastily drawn cartoon, might I add. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Columbia did have um, animation. However, their animation was sort of the worst of the worst. Uh, 
into the late 1940s, they were still making black and white cartoons uh, at a time when uh, uh, cartoons had been had given over had been given over to color, uh, Technicolor, that is, uh, you know, ten years before that, with every other studio. Um, so they did have uh, you know animation, but it was bottom tier. Everything's done to a price, but at Columbia, you know, Harry Cohn was so tight fisted. And I'm sure that killed the director's soul <laughs> to, to, to have the crappy animation, but there wasn't any way that you know, the director was going to get anything better, sadly enough. Now, in addition to the stars having mixed careers after their famous movie serials, the supporting players, the character actors, went from film to film. And I mentioned to you in our little chat before we started, Lyle Talbot. He played the neighbor on Ozzie and Harriet, remember him? But he was also in the Batman movie serial with Robert Lowry as Batman. He was Commissioner Gordon. That same year, he was Luthor in Adamant versus Superman. I just wonder how the kids reacted to that. Oh, my God, that's Luthor. Well, I have to say, if you take a look at Lyle Talbot's career, he has uh, an incredibly impressive filmography uh he worked up and he worked up until the point where he was in his 80s he took any job that anyone ever offered him terrible movie for 200 bucks fine i'm in it (laughs) uh great film where he's in it for two minutes fine he he accepted all of those parts he lived on television uh into the 50s as well he just seemed to be sort of that everyman actor that who, who was fortunate enough, really, uh, to get cast uh, so often, so frequently. He was very good. It wasn't just oh, being yeah. cast. I mean, as Luthor, he was as good as any of them. Yeah, and but I hate to say it, though, uh, when it comes to uh, serials and lesser studios, if you can get through uh, the scene without needing a second take, <laughs> you're going to be in my next picture. Uh, and a lot of it was just, you know, sh- well, and that's 90% of life is showing up and knowing what you're supposed to be doing, right? And, you know, a lot of these people, you know, when you do, let's say you're watching an episode of Perry Mason, you see a lot, or, or the series, actually, as I do, you see a lot of the same people cycling through, um, you know, season after season. They may have been friends of Raymond Burr's, uh, but most likely they weren't causing problems. They were e- 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 It was easy to get the episode in the can with a lot of these actors. And he must have had a great memory. He must have had a, a, an incredible talent for remembering lines. It's Lyle Talbot again, because he was in so many things. If you look at his filmography, it, it is, it, it's mind-blowing, it, it, really impressive. Uh, from start to finish, too. You know, he retired a few years before he passed away, but in, he worked steadily. You know, he wasn't one of those actors whose career just sort of died. Um, and, you know, and as a good character actor too, I mean, he knew what he knew what he was doing. He, he could he could read his lines you know effectively. He could you know, embody the character uh, if he had enough of one to play. Obviously, um, you have to have some lines though uh, in order to be able to do that. Uh, but but yeah, great journeyman actor, you know, uh, worked forever and was never bad in anything. Now, let me just, you mentioned Perry Mason before. The character of the DA, Hamilton Berger, was played by William Tallman. Yes. 
He was fired from the show because he got involved in some kind of crazy drug thing or something. He went and to he, a pot party, from what I understand. He, he went to a pot party? Yes, uh, in the late 1950s or early 1960s. And they did boot him off the show uh, for a while. Um, they were able to get him back on the show because he wasn't convicted. So uh, no harm, no foul there. And uh, they did get him back. But there was there's a – I can't remember which season it is, either the third season or the fourth season, where he is out for at least half of the episodes because of that. And William Talman was a fantastic actor. Uh, if you ever watch, uh, if you're a fan of film noir uh, from the 40s and 50s, you'll find him popping up all the time. And unlike being Hamilton Berger, the district attorney on Perry Mason, he's very often a bad guy in film noir, and he's a great one. He's 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 so good at being the antagonist. I could see the menace, but also they played Hamilton Berger as a villain in a sense, in Perry Mason, because he was always the district attorney who was too quick to pick somebody and have them charged with a crime, and then in almost every case, Perry Mason wins. Another interesting minor sidelight here, because of our paranormal beginnings here and our leanings, William Talman's cousin was a guy named James W. Mosley, very well known in the UFO field, one of my closest friends over the years. And so I heard an inside story about Talman and what he did from his first cousin, just to let you know. Oh, that, that is very cool. You know, he, uh, William Talman passed away so long ago. Um, I think he died in 1968. And, and again, he was very young. He was just in his early 50s. He had lung cancer. He was a very heavy smoker. Um, and, uh, you gosh, the, if you watch Perry Mason, the only one who's not smoking is Della. You know, everybody else is, is lighting them up one after, one after the other. Um, you, um, well, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name. Um, Ray Collins, who was, uh, Inspector Track. Yes. Or Lieutenant Track, Lieutenant Track, I should say, uh, died during the run of the series. Uh, in 1965, he'd been ill for a number of years and was having trouble uh, remembering his lines. Uh, but they kept him on. Uh, and, and if you watch the, the series, um, two years after he stopped you know, appearing in episodes, they still kept him on the cast list so they could pay him, which I, which I think is just remarkable. Uh, that, that would never happen today. Um, and you um now that I think, well, uh, William Hopper uh, didn't live very long either. He was Paul Drake. And, and was in some great science fiction films in the 1950s. And the son of Hedda Hopper, the gossip columnist, uh, former actress turned gossip columnist, I guess I should say. Let's get back to the movie serials and the low-budget sci-fi films. And I started watching them. The first ones I saw were Flash Gordon with Buster Crabbe. Uh, Buster Crabbe's uh, Flash Gordon uh, serials are so much fun. He's a, you have he there again not a trained actor, but he's very athletic, uh, a very handsome guy, uh, good build, uh, and was really a natural uh, to play Flash Gordon. He was believable, which is a very important acting skill. Well, unaffected, I, I, that might be a better way. 
uh, to put it. Uh, he, he was there again. It was a B movie. He was there to do a job and to do it quickly. But he did it very efficiently and really looked the part as much as anything else. Well, Flash Gordon, to some degree, influenced Star Wars. And I think in terms of the character Ming the Merciless, who influenced Darth Vader. In fact, the Ming March or theme influenced John Williams for the Darth Vader theme. And of course, Ming the Merciless was played by Charles Middleton, who was also a very busy character actor. He was, uh, and uh, you advanced in years by the time he uh, was cast as Ming the Merciless. Um, Star Wars, if you watch it, is is greatly uh, inspired by uh, the um, sci-fi serials from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, greatly. Obviously, and we've got more with Brian, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Pentacast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. 
Sunny Bay heating pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay heating pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Do you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help now. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare. Call 800-284-0523. Learn how through the Family Medical Leave Act, you can leave your job without losing your job. Locations everywhere. Get immediate help for drug and alcohol problems. Call now. 800-284-0523. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Going back, Brian was talking about the influence from early sci-fi movies and serials in Star Wars that George Lucas took all, a lot of his inspiration from them. He certainly did. Um, and uh, if you'll look back at the number of serials that were produced, especially in the 30s and some in the 40s, uh, a lot of Westerns were serialized as well. And you know, it, it, going back and watching Star Wars again, a lot of the elements of the Western serials sort of jump out at you too. It is very oh, good versus evil. Um, you know, it's, it's a very black and white script, Star Wars is. And, um, you know, a lot of that there, again, you know, goes back to the serials. Uh, they are, uh, you know, black and white. They, they are good versus evil. There, there's an antagonist and there's a protagonist. Later on, of course, they tried to make Darth Vader into a more sympathetic character. I, who started yeah. out good, but then became lured by the dark side. And you know what? Uh, the original Star Wars, I think, is the the original film is the best uh, of the bunch. Tell you the truth, I don't think any of the sequels, you know, have, have touched the original. Just for just for how earnest it is. Well, they had no expectation of great success with Star Wars. After that, the money influenced the way the films were prepared, scripted, and marketed. Very uh, sadly, but that, that is very true. Uh, I would agree with that. But if you remember back to Star Wars, I, I, and I was, a, I was a child when I saw it. Well, oh, God, adolescent, we'll, we'll say that. I think I was 12 when that movie came out in 1977. Huge impact at the theater. Uh, we, had to, we stood in line for I don't know how long just to go see the movie. My, my dad uh, took me to see it. He's a big sci-fi fan uh, as well. And, you know, in the days before uh, HBO and um, VHS, uh, you, went to the, you went to the movies a lot, a lot more back then than certainly now. And that's, that, that's something I think we, that's lost in culture, that we don't have that communal shared experience of going to the theater, you know, week after week to see uh, an episode of a serial. 
uh, and to see the, the main feature. We, we just don't have that anymore. It's a shame. Right now, the only reason people see a movie for the most part is when they have a blockbuster. And as I mentioned to you before the show began, I think, for example, the superhero movies we have today, they take the basic concept from the early sci-fi serials and regular films with superheroes. They add 500,000 times to the budget from, you know, $500,000 to $300 million. They get slightly better actors, slightly tighter scripts, a lot on special effects, but fundamentally, it's the same movie. But that's the that's the uh, most wonderful thing about film production. You're selling the same thing over and over again. <laughs> you, you, you milk it for all it's worth. Now, I also look at the failures, films that failed for one reason or another. One film I particularly liked was Billy Zane as The Phantom. And he had a great group of supporting players, Treat Williams, played the villain, Xander Drax, is it? And I remember the scene where he's playing with these skulls, generating these strange powers, and he has this evil smile on his face, and he says, I love this. I just think he really must have liked that role, the way he played it. Well, um, what a fun role to play, too. Um, you, it is, you are essentially you know, a comic book coming to life uh, in these roles. And the, the actors should enjoy them because these are fun to play. This is you know, what, every, what every child ever wanted to do, really, was to just to put, you know, put on a mask and a cape and uh, go out and have at it. These, are, these should be fun films to make. They really should be. The film I, we all mentioned here is the one in 1996. He was also featured in movie serials, The Phantom. And that character goes back to the 1930s. But if you look at who was in it, Billy Zane, of course, you remember him from Titanic, Treat Williams, Christy Swanson, one of the early roles from Catherine Zeta-Jones, and, of course, James Remar, who is just terrific at everything he does. He's another one of those character actors who can play good guys, and bad guys. I always let it drop for you to comment. Are you still there? I'm still here. I was waiting for you to answer about the Phantom. Did you see that? I, uh, you cut out. I missed some of that. Uh, the cast uh, of the 1996 um, fa- The Phantom is fantastic. Uh, you've got uh, a wonderful cast list. And even if you go down into uh, some of the supporting characters, Samantha Agar is in it, Patrick McGowan, John Tenney. Uh, th- there's some great talent here. Patrick McGowan plays the ghost of The Phantom's father. Yes, as a matter of fact, he does. I thought they meant to try to have that film become part of a series, but kind of bombed at the box office. Well, and you you, you see that anymore. Um, you know, and it, there again, that goes back to the serials where uh, you ha- have a sort of cliffhanger, and you do want to see the next episode, and you will if the uh, first film does well enough at the box office to spawn a sequel. Unfortunately, you know, it's all about money, and if that first film doesn't connect, uh, the chances of seeing a sequel are very remote, sadly enough. 
Interesting. I grew up, but of course, The Shadow was on the radio. And I'd listened to an all-night radio show called Long John Neville or Long John's Party Line. This was one of the first shows to feature long discussions on the paranormal. This is before we had, of course, Coast to Coast. All right. This was the originator of that thing. And one of his regular guests was a writer and magician named Walter B. Gibson. And I later learned that in the pulp magazine, The Shadow, he wrote many of those stories. So there's wow. the shadow. Yeah. And of course, there was this movie in the mid 90s. Alec Baldwin plays Lamont Cranston and The Shadow. I thought he was great in it, but the movie also didn't do so well. Yeah, you know, I, I'm. Gosh, that movie's about thirty years ago too, and, I, and my viewing of it is <laughs> probably thirty years ago as well. Um, it had it had the right look, I thought. Um, I I'm struggling to remember Alec Baldwin's uh, performance, however, and that's not to say anything bad about it or anything. I, I just it just doesn't stand out for me. But there again, this is another film with a terrific cast: uh, Peter Boyle, uh, Ian McClellan, Penelope Ann Miller, Tim Curry, uh, and Jonathan Winters in a really late role as well. Uh, it, it does have a fantastic cast. It's a shame that it didn't connect a little, didn't connect better, um, you know, with uh, viewers. Now, of course, this particular film, Alec Baldwin had this menace in his eyes, like he's a troubled psychologically disturbed superhero, which is kind of reminiscent of Batman. And now, of course, in his personal life, we realize maybe he wasn't acting. We've got more with Brian, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented Made in America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. USA News Update. The special counsel's inquiry into President Biden's management of classified materials raising concerns about his cognitive acuity. So much so that Republican Rep. Claudia Tenney now wants the cabinet to explore the Constitution's 25th Amendment to remove President Biden from office following that report that described him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. 
Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, dealing with backlash from saying that illegal immigrants are the people we care about most and referring to undocumented Americans. That comment went viral, people calling it an oxymoron, others saying this was Murphy admitting the Democratic Party's honest view on the issue. Corey Myers, USA News. Most folks don't realize this fact. Our country is only four missed meals away from chaos, and those meals can vanish fast. In a national emergency, fragile supply chains break down and will wipe grocery store shelves clean in a matter of hours. Before this happens, there's something you should do today. Let's stock up on emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply is the company millions of American families trust for their emergency supplies. You should, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each kit contains delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and other survival necessities. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship the same day, fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Those who know what's coming, prepare before the chaos starts. MyPatriotSupply.com Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, formerly Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Air National Guard and Reservist. I'm looking for veterans, active duty military personnel to join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. She needs your skills, courage, and loyalty more than ever. Contact GCNteam.com. Because of the financial and health care collapse, veterans are currently struggling finding jobs. Frustrated looking for a job? Change your tactics. Join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. Start a health care business with FDI Longevity 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com immediately. We're looking for military specialists who can use a computer and communicate information and execute a battle plan. Join the admirals, Navy SEALs, Marines, pilots, Army officers, military police, sheriffs, police officers, firemen, and first responders already enrolled in the 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com now. FDI Longevity will help you apply your military skills to the task of saving America through health and financial programs. Contact GCNteam.com. Enlist in GCNteam.com and save America. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So we were talking there about the film with Alec Baldwin, which goes back to 1994, called The Shadow, and all the great players who were in it and everything like that. And the thing is here, The Shadow has been done... As a radio show, it was quite successful. They had these ultra B movies in the 30s and 40s featuring The Shadow. I don't think it ever translated beyond that. They had a TV pilot from the 50s. But The Shadow, to me, maybe it's too much of a period piece, would seem a terrific character, especially if you looked at his ability to hide himself from people. That power would have been great if it was done right. But it never was. The shadow never transferred to film as well as it did for radio. No, it didn't. And, you know, uh, the shadow has uh, a lot of noir overtones to it. And noir seems to be out (laughs) right now. Uh, We haven't seen any great crime dramas for a while now. I'm sure that they will come back around at some point. And and when they do, uh, I do think that things like, uh, you know, Characters like Dick Tracy 
and the shadow uh, may see a resurgence then. Dick Tracy, from the comic books to the movies, I guess they probably did radio. The movies, the major player in the movies was Ralph Bird. Yes. And he seemed great as Dick Tracy. I don't know if he had any career after that. He passed away, (laughs) sadly enough. That's one reason. um, Well, he made the transition to television uh, with the Dick Tracy character. It was a, a very inexpensive ABC television show starting in 1951. ABC was sort of the bottom of the barrel at the time when it came to television networks. They they struggled for a long time. Uh, We were talking about Dumont previously, and a lot of uh, Dumont stations became ABC stations when Dumont folded up in 1956. But uh, Ralph Bird had made the transition to the series on ABC and uh, had a sudden heart attack and passed away. He was very young. He was only 43 years old. Barely got started. And you think if he had survived, and in today's medicine he probably would have, if he had survived, that Dick Tracy thing could have gone on to become a pretty, pretty decent program and lasted a few years. It well could have. Uh, and um, at his age, you know, the Dick Tracy character doesn't require the level of physicality as, uh, let's say, Superman or the Phantom might. So he could have carried that on you know, into his twilight years, perhaps. Because with Dick Tracy, you just, you just need the black hair uh, kind of swooped back and you're good to go. I was disappointed with the 1990 Dick Tracy movie. I know it did well at the box office. I said we all were. <laughs> the Warren Beatty version of uh, Dick Tracy, it should have worked. You know, um, it had a lot of money behind it. It had, uh, you know, some very powerful actors uh, in it. Well, Warren Beatty and Madonna was in it. Lots of marketing was generated for it, and it just didn't go anywhere. It looked good, but it didn't It didn't have any soul, really. It, it looked great. Uh, but you just kind of got the feeling that you were watching a two-hour ad. Well, also, Warren Beatty seemed a little bit wishy-washy as Dick Tracy. He didn't have that square-jawed kind of look from the comic character and kind of the look that Ralph Bird brought on. I just think if they had somebody else in that role, it might have worked better. But I don't think that the movie would have been made had it not been for Warren Beatty. Well, he produced and directed it, so, you know, there you go. And uh, you maybe you're right. Perhaps he was a little too handsome to be um, Dick Tracy. And not to take anything away from Ralph Bird, but he, he wasn't that handsome guy. But he does have, you, if you look at uh, the Dick Tracy comic strip you know, from the 40s or 50s, he does have that, that same jawline. He does have a, a very similar look. And, of course, the first Apple Watch. Oh, I've, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, he talked to people with his watch, calling right. Dick Tracy, calling Dick Tracy. It's fun to see how much of the technology that you see in these old um, serials uh, and the old sci-fi films actually have actually happened. You know, we, we, we actually have these products now, you know, especially the screens and such. It's fun to see how much of that really came true. Back to Flash Gordon. The spaceships or rocket ships were interesting because they looked totally unlike our traditional image of rocket ships, which dates back to the early 
50s and late 40s. The reason is here, of course, is that Republic also used that same basic design for its sci-fi serials. As I recall, and you, you, you two would know more about this than I do, but prior to 1950, we don't have a photograph of a spaceship, do we? Well, we have, of course, the reports of UFOs in the real world. Right. We have drawings and we have the reports, but we don't really have, before, like I said, before 1950, we don't really have any photographs that we can you know, go back and research. Well, um, we do I, have the V-2 rocket. That influence allowed the classic look of early spaceships, and that goes back to the 1940s. Yeah, but uh, you know, Buster Crab's Flash Gordon is, you know, starts in '36. So no, no V two rockets then. So I mean, yeah, the, at that at that point, the only rockets were just like little, almost like model rockets. Right, right. Almost a novelty, maybe more than anything else. Uh, the technology that came out of World War II was stupendous, if you think about it, and, and how much it, it really vaulted uh, the world forward technologically. But even then, going into the fifties, Republic was using those images from the 30s and Flash Gordon, when they well, did King of the Rocket Men and Commando Cody with a rocket suit, they were just using the same techniques, and I think the same special effects people, as Captain Marvel. And it matched up really well if you were going to use any stock footage. You see, that so. was another thing about it, too. When they made these movies, they reused footage constantly, like the Adventures of Captain Marvel's 12 chapters. Yes. So two minutes of the episode is taken up by the recap. And then they resolve the cliffhanger. And then the flying scenes are all repeated over and over again. Many of the fight scenes are repeated over and over again. Many of the car chase scenes are repeated over and over again. And by doing this, by reusing the footage in different settings, you're able to save money on the budget. Oh, significantly so. Uh, and there again, that goes back to the, uh, the poverty row <laughs> origins of most of the studios uh, that did turn out the serials. They had to use you know, stock footage. Uh, they had to reuse a lot of the footage that they actually did shoot to stretch those serials out into a four-hour running time. But if you look at the more modern shows, even the Adventures of Superman and stuff even more recent, say Superman Lois on The CW, which is coming to its fourth and final season, you see reused footage of Superman flying. Oh, certainly, and and if if that's all you need to do, if you just need to you know show, uh, let's say um, uh, George Reeves as Superman uh, flying, yeah, why why wouldn't you reuse it? They weren't too bad. They weren't done badly. Some of the scenes weren't that great. You can see almost though he's being held up by the wires or something. But right. other scenes, considering they had a non-existent budget, were very good. And I should mention this also about Adventures of Superman, to save budgets. What they did here was prepare all the scripts in advance and then film all the portions of an episode in a single setting. Like, for example, in Perry White's office, every scene of every episode that involves something in Perry White's office was filmed in a series of sequences. Then they filmed the stuff in Clark Kent's office or Lois Lane's office, etc. So this way... You not only had to cheapen the sets, you didn't have to set up again. You set up once, and you do all the scenes and edit them together later. 
Well, one of the things that uh, influenced uh, the um, relatively impoverished nature of The Adventures of Superman, too, was that they switched to color uh, for the third season. Color stock was a lot more expensive than black and white stock back then. Let's continue with Brian, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers simply because that's what longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. 
Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is Big the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. Of course, and they had to develop a full-color uniform for Superman, Brian. And also there, wasn't that one of the first TV shows to actually film in color? I believe so. Color broadcasting uh, started uh, at NBC in 1953 as a way to sell uh, color television sets from RCA. But they were uh, color televisions back then were horribly expensive. Uh, color film stock uh, was very expensive as well. Black and white was you know, far cheaper. And I think that's one of the things that has kept the adventures of Superman on television for the last you know, 70 plus years is the fact that so many of the episodes were shot in color. I know the first two seasons were not. Uh, Plot-wise, I think the first two seasons were much, much better. I think with the third season on, Kellogg's bought this major sponsorship of the show, and they made it more appealing to kids. Right, exactly. Um, and you, know, as a result, uh, Superman was a very popular uh, character among children uh, in the 1950s. And George Reeves was very popular uh, with children as well. He did a lot of uh, public appearances as Superman. Kind of interesting here, because in private life, he was a heavy smoker and drinker. But he couldn't do that in public because he's Superman. That's true, and you don't want Superman to have a lot of vices, do you? <laughs> so, you, you don't want to see him, you know, firing up a an L and M, you know, and then washing it down with, uh, you know, a bottle of whiskey. Um, but the, I, I think it's refreshing, though, that you know, back in the day, uh, actors really did try to put their best foot forward, uh, to put on the best face possible. Uh, for their audiences. You don't get that anymore, unfortunately. And some really took their roles personally. I'll give you a couple of examples. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy. Yes. He lived that role to almost the end of his days, even when the shows ended. And actors like Boyd uh, didn't want to let the character down. They didn't want to let their audiences down. And I think it's remarkable that somebody uh, would... They would want their uh, performance and, and their public persona to not uh, injure the character uh, that they had created. I think that's fabulous. It's, I wish we still had people like that in Hollywood. Well, of course, Clayton Moore is the Lone Ranger. Now, Clayton Moore portrayed villains quite often in B-movies. 
Yeah, uh, Clayton Moore, uh, the Lone Ranger, uh, did portray a heavy in uh, a number of serials, including Radar Secret Service, which is a fun serial, uh, a very low-budget one, however. And then he became the Lone Ranger. And one year, though, another actor took over. I think he had a salary dispute or something with the studio. Uh, He did. Um, Clayton Moore became heavily identified with the role as the Lone Ranger. Uh, And again, you know, much like uh, George Reeves um, took it very seriously. He was he was he loved being the Lone Ranger. Uh, And it was it's it's what we remember of him now, you know, Um, but uh, and salary disputes happen. You know, he was you know, the TV series Lone Ranger ran for oh golly I think seven or eight seasons it was on for a long time and I'm sure that you know in some ways it killed Clayton Moore's career um, being the Lone Ranger on the other hand for us it was his career it's what we remember um, now John Hart uh, another actor uh, also portrayed. Uh, the Lone Ranger in a number of episodes uh, for this, the series. It phys- physically, he looked something like Clayton Moore. Uh, they, they had uh, similar facial structure as well. So with with the mask, you know, it works pretty well. Um, however, you know, as I said, you know, Clayton Moore was just so identified uh, with the role that for the rest of his life, even after they took his mask away from him, uh, he still did public appearances and still embodied the, the character of the Lone Ranger. When he couldn't wear the mask anymore because of what the studio said, he actually wore these dark glasses, very heavy glasses. Right. And when I was a kid, that's how I remember uh, Clayton Moore appearing. Um yeah, uh, Clayton Moore, uh, as I said, embodied uh, you know, the spirit of the Lone Ranger. And it's uh, kind of an interesting series you know, for the time. I mean, it came on in 1949. That was the, the dawn of television uh, in America. The regular programming for the networks really didn't start until 1946, 1947. So it's amazing that you know, the character has lived on that Fortunately for the Lone Ranger, these were shot on 16-millimeter film. And that's the thing that has helped preserve series like the Lone Ranger, I Love Lucy, uh, since they were shot you know, on film and, and they didn't air live and then were kinescoped. Uh, they've you know, survived in reruns and they're still, you know, still very watchable in terms of the quality of the sound and the image. And then, of course, we had Jay Silverheels as Tonto, who was a real Native American, as I recall. Yes, and th- you know that kind of com- camaraderie uh, you didn't find you know in westerns back then. Indians, uh, well, Native Americans, uh, it, but 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 then referred to as Indians, I should say, uh, were almost always cast in a negative light in uh, you know in westerns. Uh, they weren't to be trusted. Um, they were basically bad people, you know, essentially in a lot of the narratives that you saw in Westerns, especially in the 30s and 40s. And you know, this was you know, a, a real friendship that we, we got to see uh, on, te- on television. Um, and I think you know, a lot of 
what happened just a few years before that in World War II, um, you know, helped pave the way for a character like Tonto uh, in the form of uh, actor Jay Silverheels. Well, it was better than having a regular American portray a Native American character. That was pretty good. But he didn't have much of a career after that because he was Tonto. Exactly. And there again, uh, very, very heavily identified uh, with that character. And we forget here, it's in the legend of the two characters, but the people who created the Lone Ranger back in the 30s and 40s also created a direct descendant of the Lone Ranger in modern times. Now, although seldom mentioned, the Lone Ranger's real name was John Reed. He was part of a group of Texas Rangers that were ambushed. Now, Britt Reed, same last name, Reed, the Green Hornet. Oh, oh, the Green Hornet. That's a, that's a really fun uh, serial. And I loved the TV show from the uh, mid-60s, uh, which was uh, you know, shot concurrently with uh, Batman. Um, same, same studio as ABC. Uh, same production company uh, as well. And uh, you know, Van um, Williams uh, portrayed the Green Hornet on television, along with uh, Bruce Lee's Cato. Uh, and that, that is, there are a lot of parallels there as well. And the thing about Bruce Lee is, as the series progressed, it was only on for one season, they gave him meteor roles, meteor scripts uh, with more of a positive image. And he wasn't just the valet who occasionally does a karate kick or something. He was a direct partner of Britt Reed in Solving Crimes. Yes, uh, he was uh, you know, very. It was integral to the, the plots as well. Unfortunately, Bruce Lee was paid you know, very little um, for his time on the Green Hornet. I believe he made something like four hundred dollars an episode. Privately, he and Van Williams were very, very good friends, and Van Williams, uh, much as he could. Uh, tried to stump for uh, Bruce Lee being more of a central character in each episode. And as we saw after the series, you know, Van Williams, uh, I think a lot of it was by choice, but he sort of faded away uh, from acting. And Bruce Lee, you know, we all know what happened to him. Uh, very sad. Now, as you can see in this episode, we're only scratching the surface here when it comes to lore about sci-fi B-films, movie serials, superhero films, etc., etc. So we're going to have our special guest back for the After the Paracast podcast. That's an exclusive special feature of the Paracast Plus. For more information, go to theparacast.plus. More with Bruce Lee Van Williams, The Green Hornet. With Brian, Gene, and Tim, you're in... Ooh, the Pentacast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. 
They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. In alien artifacts, incredible evidence of exotic material from UFO encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. Available now on Amazon.com. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. As you say, Van Williams kind of stepped away from acting. He did some other stuff, I recall. He did, but you know, the, the apex of his career was certainly uh, the Green Hornet. The person in uh, the cast of The Green Hornet who did really go on to, to do a lot of films and episodic television is Bruce Lee. He was the, sort of the, um, he's brilliant to watch you know, on, on The Green Hornet and in his subsequent films. I mean, he's very athletic. It's almost like ballet, really, you know, you're watching his performances and how much control he had you know, over his body. And sadly, he passed away very young uh, in 1973. But uh, he was really on his way. He uh, had he'd just done Enter the Dragon, uh, which was enormously popular when I was a child, um, very popular among kids. And it wasn't you know, just because he had passed away either. I mean, it, it's a great movie. Well, with, of course, The Green Hornet on TV, unlike Batman... It wasn't portrayed tongue-in-cheek. It was a straight-ahead adventure show. But it only lasted one season. And the only time they ever tried to bring back that character, correct me if I'm wrong, you know more about this than I do, where Seth Rogen took over a Green Hornet film some years back. And if you think awful is bad, this would be awful compared to awful. Not, I, I, I will I will be honest with you. I did not see the Seth Rogen Green Hornet. And there's a reason for that. I typically am not a big fan of you know, bringing back you know, a movie franchise. I, I, I kind of like to... The original for me is almost always going to be the best. 
I, I had nothing against Seth Rogen, uh, but uh, I was never going to watch that movie, quite honestly. What I'm wondering here is whether there is an audience to bring back a character like The Shadow. Oh, I, I certainly do think so. Um, there again, though, The Shadow is pretty firmly entrenched in War, and I think that you know, if and when War comes back around, you did in the '90s. Uh, it came back for a while, and I think that you know, once we um, you know, figure out what the next genre is going to be, you know, right now. Uh, the superhero uh, films are sort of the order of the day. Although, from what I understand, uh, audience uh, reaction is uh, slipping you know, on a lot of them. If noir ever comes back around, and I think it will, I think that's when you will see uh, the shadow, the phantom, uh, Dick Tracy. I think that's when you'll see those characters make a big resurgence. Well, part of it is things go into trends. And the thing about superheroes is, what do you do next? Because... All this is, is that each film gets wackier and wackier. More and more crazy special effects. Like, for example, in the movie The Flash with Ezra Miller. They borrowed something from the TV show where he goes back in time to save his mother's life from a murderer. But Grant Gustin, I think, did a great... Ezra Miller didn't have that effectiveness. But more important... It became so crazy and dizzying, you couldn't enjoy it. I think right now the only superhero show that makes sense is Superman and Lois, where they kind of go back to the basics and portray Superman as a real person, Lois Lane as a real person, but he's been doing it for 20 years and he has a couple of teenage kids, one of whom has superpowers. But I think they focus heavily on character, even though special effects are better than most TV shows. And I think, if anything, that's going to save superhero characters is make them human again. Well, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, If you watch the old... the old films, you, you, you don't see a lot in terms of special effects because the, the studios just didn't have the money, and they did rely on the by-play of the characters uh, in, in scenes and such, and they were more you know, personable uh, characters. And it wasn't just stuff you know, exploding on screen or anything like that. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think we do need to get back to some more character studies uh, in these films. We... we you have to humanize these people somewhat or else you're not going to identify them and you're not going to feel any emotional attachment with them. Well, with Superman and Lois, both Superman and Lois Lane are middle-class people working regular jobs, she being a reporter, him getting fired from the Daily Planet. But the point is they work middle-class jobs. They're middle-class people. They blend with everybody else in their private lives and even though he does super things, he was basically brought up to be a regular guy. And that's the thing that works best with that character. You have this overwhelming godlike being, but in day-to-day living, he's like everybody else. And that and humanizing, I think, makes it effective. Also, of course, the performance was very effective. But recall, you know, the elderly couple that uh, you know raises Superman. You know, th- these are this is these are this is a Midwest farm couple. <laughs> uh, that, that's where he got his values. Right, and of course they kill off the father in his teenage years 
they keep Martha Kent around in the movies, but in Superman Lois, it's 20 years later and she dies of a stroke or something. The point, though, is he goes back to his farm where he grew up. And there, everybody knows him. That's Clark Kent. He's one of the guys. And there again, I think that goes back to uh, making uh, these characters, you know, uh, a little more human, you know, uh, and to humanize them. And to so that the audience can see that, well, hey, look, you know, that, you know, I'm not Superman, but, you know, I can identify with this character because, you know, he is from a small town. He is from a farming community. He, he has these Midwestern values uh, that, you know, so many other people do. You, you have to be able to identify with the protagonist because if you can't, people, they might go watch your movie to see the explosions and such. But after a while, they're not going to identify with the characters. Well, the key here, again, is that it's what the individual is. Like, for example, with Spider-Man, he's a nerdy teenager. And when he plays off that, trying to grow as a person, like they did with the original Spider-Man films. But after that, they went crazy. They had two further Spider-Man actors after the first one. Tobey Maguire, I thought, was great. Then what was it? There were two later actors who played it, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. I think Tubby McGuire set the stage, and they were so quick to redo the Spider-Man story over and over again every few years. That's kind of nonsense. That one comes back around a lot. <laughs> I will agree with you. I did think that, for whatever reason, I did think that Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man, that, that's the version that I prefer, you know, quite honestly. And I think you're right, he does look the part of it. But I, I also think that he, you, he's, he's a good actor, although I, I don't think he does much acting anymore. But, but he's able to, you can identify with him, you, especially if you're you uh, kind of an awkward uh, teen, it's easy to identify with Tobey Maguire. There's nothing. He's not like Henry Cavill, the Superman, who is this archetype. You know, he's some. He's sort of an everyman, uh, an every well, an every kid, I guess. In this one, uh, he's easy to identify with, and it does humanize him. And I think you do need that um, in in superhero roles. I think Henry Cavill makes a good Superman, but as Clark Kent. He's too stiff. I think also Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent was over the top because they, I think they thought when they made this film in the 1970s, it's a comic book film, so we have to play Luthor and Clark Kent as over the top. Otherwise, people won't take it seriously. Now, of course, they've cut back on that. And that that's a tricky uh, a line. That's a really tricky line to walk to. Um, when you do uh, go larger than life with a character, it, it, if it dips into low camp, you're probably going to torpedo the film. Ryan Walker, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. 
They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Every day we take steps to keep the people we love safe, but some health risks are easy to miss. Ticks hiding in the yard can spread germs, like the ones that cause Lyme disease. Mice searching for food can spread bacteria that makes us sick. Mosquitoes lay eggs in standing water and can spread West Nile virus and more. Cockroaches are drawn to water in the home, leaving behind allergens that can trigger asthma attacks. Common pests can threaten our health. Learn how to protect your family at PestWorld.org. Advertising is simple. It starts with someone who has a need. Mom! And then gets more specific. Mom, I want pizza. Then we add urgency. I want pizza tonight. Before you know it, your GCN advertising message is reaching millions of listeners. Listeners who are definitely in need. We want pizza! You see? Advertising on GCN is simple. Your message meets their need, and the result means new business for you. Tell us about your business. Then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message to feed those who have an urgent need. We want pizza tonight! GCN has the most affordable national radio advertising rates, period. And millions of people listen to GCN radio programs on over 1,000 AM and FM and XM stations and streaming audio live. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Thank <laughs> you. 
This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So, of course, we're talking here about an over-the-top character like Superman and someone playing it, I don't know, too nerdy, too comic booky, like is Clark Kent, as a goofball. Here's a goofball who's hired for a major city newspaper. Why would you hire him? You know, it's one thing. He can be nerdy. He can stumble a little bit. He can have difficulty relaying to people at the beginning. But that, I thought, was something that turned me off about Superman the movie. See, and it, it doesn't really bother me so much because, you know, he is, you know, for the benefit of the other characters in the film, he is supposed to be playing two roles, and he doesn't want, as Superman, he doesn't want his cover being blown. So because he looks the same, no matter whether he's Clark Kent or Superman, to you embody different mannerisms in a different character, I think does help keep it does help keep the characters separate somewhat. However, and I, I'm not to take anything away from Christopher Reeve, he, he was a, a fine actor. Um, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, I think since he is a really seasoned actor, I think he does a better job at being larger than life, perhaps. Then there's more, I think there's a little more to the character as well of Lex Luthor. That, that sort of does, you know, you're... Um, you're trying to achieve world domination. You should be pretty camped up, I think, anyway. But that's a really tricky line to walk. I mean, how how over the top can you go without turning this into a low-camp mess that nobody wants to see? Yeah, but some of the lines like, Lex Luthor, world's greatest criminal mind. I thought that was over the top. I also thought that when Brandon Ralph played Clark Kent in Superman Returns, he gave it more balance. Of course, he wasn't as good an actor as Christopher Reeve, but he also gave the Clark Kent character more balance. There, I think the extremes were too extreme. I don't know. It works for me. Now, that might have something to do with the era during which Superman came out. It came out in 1978. Uh, I would have been an impressionable 13-year-old at the time. Loved the film. I probably saw it in the theaters four or five times that summer, (laughs) to to be quite honest. And I even had uh, a couple of Digest uh, Super 8mm versions uh, of the film uh, that were released just probably about a year afterward, probably 78, 79, 80, something like that. I was a big fan uh, of the movie. See, for me, I I think it's perfect. I I really can't uh, knock it at all. Well, the perspective, I was much older. And and jaded. (laughs) Don't get me started. When we waited online for Star Wars, by the way, it was Uh, around the block. Oh, yeah. We waited for an hour or two to get in. My wife caught chicken pox. Oh my goodness! I can remember stay. I can remember standing in line to see it, but I'm thinking we only stood in line for maybe ninety minutes or so. It wasn't too horrible. They wouldn't sell advanced tickets at the theater uh, that we went to. I don't know why, uh, but they wouldn't, and we just we just had to wait. And my dad was such a is such a big science fiction fan that uh, he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> we, were, we were going to wait in line no matter what to see the film. 
Let's talk about Indiana Jones. Again, owes a lot to the movie serials of the 30s and 40s, like Jungle Jim and things like that. And, you know, Indiana Jones, uh, gosh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was uh, such a blockbuster. Again, a movie that came out when I was a teenager. I think it was about 15 or 16 when it came out. And it does pay uh, homage to uh, the serials. And I think of all the 70s and 80s films that do heavily borrow, uh, including Star Wars, that do heavily borrow from serials, I think Raiders maybe has, since it's, it's in the same time period as well, Maybe that helps it. But it, for me, seems to work best, almost as a serial as you're watching it. Unfortunately, some of the sequels have not been up to the quality of the original. And I have not seen the most recent installment of uh, Indiana Jones. I just haven't gotten around to it. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, what a fantastic film. Uh, There again, that's one of those that for me is just almost perfect. Fantastic cast. Um... You know, and having you know, Harrison Ford in, in both Star Wars and Raiders, I, I think, is really remarkable. Well, of course, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade work because of Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Oh, uh, uh, no, it didn't work because of Sean Connery. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Bond, James Bond. Oh, and, you know, Jones. Uh, oh, God, it was awful. I remember seeing that in the theater, and that came out, I think, what, in 89 or something like that? Yes. And I was really excited to see it, because I, you know, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark so much, and Last Crusade was painful for me to watch. A lot of it was because of Sean Connery, and, and I, I like Sean Connery as an actor, uh, and I'm a huge Bond fan, but that was just not his time. He really should never have done that. It's terrible. It's, it's a terrible performance. You see, we're on opposite sides there. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I'd say I think he's awful in it. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the rest of the cast is not bad. But it, it, his performance in that almost makes it seem like he's just there for the check for me. Okay. <laughs> sorry, hey. sorry to be so brutally honest. but uh, No, it's, it's no particular problem. I thought that it was a good movie, but, again... Sean Connery had his own issues as an actor, even though he was very good and won an Oscar for, what was the film? The film, The Untouchables. He won a, he plays this Irish police officer in The Untouchables who gets killed somewhere in the middle or latter middle of the film, but he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Not to take anything away from Sean Connery. I mean, he he was a very good actor, um, had great screen presence, I love most of his films, quite honestly, but I had significant problems with his performance in that film. I just, it just didn't do a thing for me. Well, you know, there you go. What can I, what can I say? What can I say? But again, I thought it was a really good film and I thought that it was fun because the second film was very grim. I didn't like the second film at all. I like the second film, but there, there are there again, there are a couple of one note performances in it that I find grating, and I, ugh, there's there's scenes that I, I have trouble watching in Indiana Jones in, in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and I, I think you're right; it does have more grim overtones than uh, the other entries that I have seen 
in the Indiana Jones uh, series of films. Now, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, one of the co-writers was Jeffrey Bohm, who also wrote The Phantom, which had Indiana Jones elements to it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I can see that. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, I think I think in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, um, the, the effects look good. They, they look better in Temple of Doom than they do in the original Raiders. The, the child in the movie, I, I found kind of grating after a while. We've got to get um, more grating if we don't break now. <laughs> Gene, Tim, and Brian, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. It's easy to see. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines. Instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families, we all know something big is coming. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming more self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, and they make it easy for you to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure some emergency food kits. There's a dozen to choose from that contain tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, heirloom seeds for your garden, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items will ship that same day. Time is short. Prepare today. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. USA News Update. It's Super Bowl Sunday and sports fans will be focused on the game in Las Vegas between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Many non-sports fans tuning in just to see this year's commercials and of course Taylor Swift. More than 100 million Americans will tune into the Super Bowl on Sunday. Some will be captivated by the game itself while others eagerly await the commercials or ushers halftime performance. I'm John Schaefer. Turning now to politics, former President Trump campaigning in South Carolina ahead of the primary there on Saturday, February 24th. He addresses the special counsel recommending that President Biden not be charged with mishandling classified documents and the fact Robert Hur referred to Biden as an elderly man with a poor memory. Crooked Joe got off scot-free. Now, I don't know if you call it scot-free. They said he was a mental basket case. Okay, so I wouldn't say it's totally scot-free. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. 
GCNfood.com. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com. Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, we return to Grading Children and Indiana Jones. Brian Walker, proceed. The rumor is not true. I am not anti-child. Uh, <laughs> however, the, the actor who portrays Short Round in... It's not, I don't, it's not his fault either. I really think it's... I don't think that Spielberg did a great job directing this kid. Because he's, he's annoying in it. And he's supposed to be endearing. And you're supposed to care what happens to him. And I just don't <laughs> in the in the movie. That said, I think Harrison Ford uh, turns in a great performance. I don't think that the performance of the actor who portrayed Short Round, it, I, not to take anything away from him, I don't think it's his fault. And I think the character was designed to be annoying. They just went perhaps a little too far with it. It's unfortunate sometimes where literary characters aren't played well in movies. Let's go to Tarzan, for example. And, of course, we all think, of course, of Johnny Weissmuller saying, me, Tarzan, you, Jane. But if you look at the books written by Edgar Rice Burroughs, he was a self-educated English lord. That's correct. Um, however, you, you didn't see that in, uh, the, in a lot of the portrayals of Tarzan. Oftentimes, it was more of a guttural just a physical character, uh, not too intellectual, but um, not so well, stupid's not the word, not so uneducated that he doesn't know the difference between right and wrong because he does, because that's something that seems to be innate that in the, in the Tarzan character, I guess I should say. Now, you do see a progression. If you watch Johnny Weissmuller's films, you do see a progression of the character. His, um, his English becomes better, you know, over the uh, series of films starting from the early 30s and then winding up in the late 40s. You get less of the physicality of it in his, er- in his later films because he's, I hate to say it, but aging, you know, in it. Uh, and unfortunately, visibly so. I do think that in some of the later films, uh, especially the Gordon Scott, uh, the last two Gordon Scott entries uh, of Tarzan films, I think are brilliantly done. Uh, Gordon Scott plays the role as more of an intelligent being um, and not just relying on his 
you know, what he knows about the jungle. He's also relying on his wits in order to uh, defeat the enemy. Uh, Tarzan the Magnificent is one of my favorite movies, and that's one of the Gordon Scott uh, Tarzan films. It, it, it's, it's just so well done, uh, I think. And in watching, Gordon Scott's probably my favorite Tarzan actor, to tell you the truth. Uh, I think he... I mean, he looks great as Tarzan. Uh, and he, you know, he, the look—he kind of embodies the character just in the look alone. But his performance, uh, I think, is fantastic. And interestingly, his uh, adversary, his main adversary in Tarzan the Magnificent, is Jock Mahoney, who was the next actor to portray Tarzan after Gordon Scott left the role. And he was kind of old for that, wasn't he? He was the oldest uh, person to be cast as Tarzan. Uh, Jock Mahoney had started his career as a stuntman and uh, really got a boost in Columbia's Three Stooges uh, shorts from the uh, late 40s and early 50s. Uh, You see him a lot in uh, some of the later uh, shorts with Curly in them. Uh, he does. He's got a number of lines in them, uh, and he's since he was since he started out as a stuntman. I mean, he's a he could do the physicality of it, but yeah, he was uh, up there. Uh, I think he was about forty four years old when his first Tarzan film came out. Uh, this is Jock Mahoney uh, again, and he got sick, he, very very ill uh, while they were filming. Um, Tarzan goes to India in 1962 and you can see him deteriorate on the screen uh he looks great in some scenes and in some scenes he's about 20 pounds underweight because he was so ill uh during the uh shooting of tarzan goes to india i think very few tarzan films actually embody any of the books and i read some of the books many of them (laughs) as a matter of fact i was more into characters like john carter of mars But John Carter, they've never done justice to. I like the Disney film, John Carter, but they had no clue how to market that film. Disney's had a lot of recent missteps. Um, You know, in in the last, I don't know, a dozen years or so, it, it used to be that when Disney produced something, I mean, they always put money behind it. You know, they always turn out a product that looks good. But I think sometimes they're, trying to pander to a particular audience and that takes precedence over uh, you know, a good story. Well, looking at John Carter, for example, I read all the books, sorry, with The Princess of Mars. They actually adapted it fairly well for the movie, even though it didn't do so well. And I think they had the right characters there and I think the actors are really good. But once again... They didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, that's not that's not really their bailiwick either. Um, you know, that kind of movie is not their wheelhouse. Uh, I, I do think that you know, Disney tries to be all things to everyone, and I'm not sure that that's really the case. Uh, it, I guess John Carter was pretty, and I'm relying on a probably 10, 12-year-old viewing of the film. It, it's not really what they do best, you know, quite honestly. Disney lost $200 million on a film. Wow. One of the biggest losses amongst all the films because they put a lot of money into it. And again, we have to realize we're dealing with a character that first debuted in 1912. 
And this is 2012 when the movie came out 100 years later. So how do you adapt the character of this Civil War soldier who goes into this cave and, in a sense, he astral projects to Mars? And they create some kind of device to accommodate that. But I always wonder with John Carter, how does his body stay alive back on Earth if he's on Mars doing all this crazy stuff? <laughs> and I got to tell you, uh, as we're talking right now, I'm, I'm watching the uh, trailer for John Carter. Some of the special effects are not great looking. It, 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 it doesn't look that great on screen, some of it. Um, I'm at a loss to tell you why it failed uh, at the box office. I didn't realize that it lost that kind of money. And these days, a loss like that for a big studio is kind of rare because they can milk it you know, in other markets and, and try to make back uh, at least production costs and marketing costs, which are sometimes more formidable than production costs. There you go. John Carter... Another film that was a good idea, but didn't quite catch on. <laughs> Maybe it'll come mildly. back. Say it again. So perhaps uh, the character will come back around. I don't know. Well, they also tried to release movies of the Pellucidor novels, which we go into the center of the earth and everything. And I always thought those were fun. It's where you go into the center of the earth, and there have been movies like this influenced by it, where they see these prehistoric creatures running around loose. Yeah, and you know, just from that description alone, you're, you're sort of, you're almost guaranteeing yourself a young audience. You know, and, and when I say young, I mean adolescent, you know, really. And I, um, as somebody who spent most of his career uh, in the college classroom, um, you know, students do have, well, at least the ones that I worked with, uh, Today's generation, Gen Z, they do have, uh, they tell us that they have shorter att attention spans. And I think sometimes you don't get a lot of character development in current films because of that, because we need to move on to the next um, you know, explosion or, or the next scene because you know, we're being told that, you know, this current generation, uh, you know, uh, can only pay attention to something for eight seconds. We have more than eight seconds of interruption here. How about that? Brian, Gene, Tim, one more segment. You're in the podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about after the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out 
theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Brian Walker, and by the way, he's got this great little site I've been having so much fun with. Okay. Brian's Drive-In Theater, which has, like I say, what a 1990s look to it. I don't know <laughs> if that's deliberate or not, but it's a lot of fun. But he keeps it up to date, by the way. It has bios of the, many of the stars of these films, covers all the categories, Hercules, cheesecake movies, horror and sci-fi, which we barely got into, westerns, crime thrillers, all this other stuff, Tarzan's serial stars. 
Yeah, a lot of stuff there. So I definitely recommend it. So check it out. Let us continue here. Of course, we went from John Carter to other film concepts. One I like a lot, and I like the TV show based on it, Stargate. Did you ever see that or the TV series? I have not. Okay, that's Rowan Emmerich and Dean Devlin, who did Independence Day. And this came out earlier. James Spader and Kurt Russell are the stars in the movie, where they discover in the 1920s in Egypt somewhere, this Stargate. And by the time we get into the next part of the film, they realize the Stargate is evidently a device that can open a wormhole and take you to another planet somewhere in this or another galaxy, which also has a Stargate. And the film, I think, did fairly well in the theaters, and they crafted a TV version called Stargate SG-1, but they had, for every reason, MGM owned the property, they had a totally different production team. And they got together with Richard Dean Anderson, who played MacGyver on TV, and he became the character Colonel O'Neill that Kurt Russell played in the movies. And they hired this actor, Michael Shanks, because he looked like James Spader. The series lasted 10 years on TV and spawned two sequels. Rights issues can really mess things up for, for a viewer, uh, quite honestly. We had touched upon that uh, a bit earlier. Rights issues can uh, really get in the way of production, depending on who currently has the option for a particular property. When it comes to you know, some of the older films, and you had mentioned that you couldn't see uh, you know, Kirk Allen's Superman or Adaman versus Superman because of rights issues. And unfortunately, that happens with properties as well. Tim. Yo, Tim. You there? Yeah. Oh yeah, Go ahead. yeah. Why well, pick up a little? Pick up a little bit. I've been hogging too much. Go ahead. <laughs> well, that's you're talking about uh, rights issues. I think one of the major problems is uh, music that's played uh, yes. in these shows, especially uh, uh, popular music. Um, you know, I know that there are have been a number of uh, television shows that didn't see the light of days in uh, uh, syndication for years because they couldn't work out uh, the, the the issues with the music. WKRP in Cincinnati is uh, one that I can think of. And then when they did finally release it, though people like me who watched it in its original run immediately can tell when they've changed the music and it's just not it doesn't sound right anymore. <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct uh, about that. However, it is the uh, music rights that oftentimes will be the holdup in getting something out onto streaming platforms or in, in reruns. So that was a huge issue with WKRP in Cincinnati because if you were you know, like like Tim and me, if if you were people who saw it in its original run, you got to hear some great music. You know, some great '70s rock like The Who, uh, for example, Aerosmith, and other bands that they just don't have the rights to and can't air it. And that was an issue, I think, for some of the earlier episodes of Happy Days as well, because they did use a lot of 1950s, you know, early rock and roll uh, songs in, in like the first season or so of Happy Days. And you don't see that in reruns uh, very often. You don't see those episodes, I should say, in rerun very often because of the music issue. 
Fortunately uh, for superheroes in serials, uh, a number of serials uh, are public domain now. We don't have to worry about rights issues for the adventures of Captain Marvel because I believe that that's the Tom Tyler Republic serial from 1941. And since it was Republic, it fell through the cracks somewhere. It's now public domain. Columbia uh, and some of the better run studios like MGM, Warner Brothers, were kind of loath to let something fall into the public domain, although occasionally they did have films that did, you know, prior to the 1990s, of course. Sometimes, however, falling into public domain has sort of rescued films in terms of you know, being known by you know, even modern audiences. A film could be 60, 70, 80 years old, but if it's public domain, it's probably going to be seen by most people at some point because it's either going to air on you know, a second-tier television channel or it's going to be one of the freebies in Amazon Prime or it'll be used as filler in some of the other platforms, depending on the mix of films that they have. And you know, a lot of those movies do get watched. Um, one of my favorite horror films, for example, uh, House on Haunted Hill, which starring Vincent Price and directed by William Castle, fell into the public domain pretty early uh, into its life. And I dare say, is there anybody out there who hasn't seen House on Haunted Hill at this point? And I think it's because it is public domain. It's, it's one thing that has kept some of these films alive, and some of the characters, too, in them alive over the years, is that they're, it's accessible to everyone. Do you ever see that in the theater where they had the, the special effects where they bring out the ghost coming out on you on the stage? I, I'm a little too young uh, for that. I'm... I'm in my late 50s, but I've read a a lot about William Castle's films and the Ballyhoo that he used in order to get butts in in theater seats in the 1950s and 1960s. There again, he catered to a predominantly youth market, uh, adolescents, teenagers, young adults, people who were more willing to show up for something lurid, you know, that, that might possibly employ a gimmick. Uh, for the audience. Now, for me, even now, that would be reason enough for me to show up at the theater. I haven't been in a movie theater uh, since COVID hit. Uh, The last thing I saw was The Invisible Man. Uh, And that was, I think, three weeks before uh, most of us were sent home for COVID. Uh, What was that, 2020? I guess about four years ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That's the last time I was in a theater. Since then, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to watch uh, either recent releases or brand new ones from the comfort of my home. I I do have uh, my own uh, theater in my home. I've spent considerable uh, amount of uh, time and money building it. And quite frankly, I'm just more comfortable here, you know, watching a movie. Do you have real film projectors, too? I do have film projectors. However, uh, these days, it's so hard to get parts for them. And trying to get a bulb for for one of the projectors I have is like pulling teeth. And you have to buy new old stock, which is not inexpensive to do. So I've kind of let uh, the projectors slide. And now I'm just totally digital. Uh, No analog at all here, uh, sadly. I do miss... uh, you film projection. Now, there's something about the, you know, the hum of the projector, and being able to make the you know, the screen any size you want it to be. Tell our listeners if they want to know more of what you do. Where can we send them? 
please visit me at briansdriveintheater.com. That's Brian with an I. Brian's Drive-In Theater has been online since 1998, and as a matter of fact, uh, I just celebrated my 26th anniversary at the Drive-In. It originally premiered on February 1st, 1998. If you want to interact with me on social media, you can find me uh, at Brian's Drive-In Theater on Facebook. That's the only social media platform that I'm currently active on. All right. You find us on Twitter, Threads, and facebook okay i'll call twitter x as the paracast you can go to the paracast.shop or the paracast.store for branded merchandise we offer the after the paracast podcast where brian will be back if you subscribe to the paracast plus go to the paracast.plus for more information lowest prices ever better quality audio and the Paracast is ad-free for Paracast Plus subscribers. Go to theparacast.plus. Brian Walker, I think we have enough material for another 50 hours here. Thank you for joining us on The Paracast. Thank you very much, Gene. Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>